And so just by way of reminder, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a church, a group of people that he is very familiar with. Remember, he was involved with the planting and pastoring of this church during his second missionary journey. Um, he had been in jail, in prison at Philippi, and he got sprung from prison, and God just began this amazing work there in Philippi. And now Paul is writing a letter to the church, and by and large, it is a thank you note, or a thank you. You guys ever get thank you letters from people? It's nice, isn't it, to get a thank you letter? Paul's writing, this is more like a thank you letter, because there's not a whole lot of correction in this letter, like in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, like it's all correction. This letter is more of a thank you letter, and this church, they got behind the Apostle Paul and his ministry, supported Paul in ministry in lots of different ways, prayer, financially, um, supporting him, sending people to minister to him. And so he's saying, thank you, thank you, church. I'm so grateful for you. And he's also reminding the church also and reminding us this morning that we can have joy in the midst of our circumstances. Amen. Do you know that this morning, no matter what you're going through, that you can have joy, that, that you can have happiness? And we see that in the Apostle Paul's life, and he's trying to explain this or, or teach this to the church in Philippi. Um, that they too, with the persecution they're facing, the difficulties, the hardships that they're facing, that they too can have joy in the midst of their circumstances. Because Paul's right, where's Paul writing from? Prison. He's writing from prison. Again, Paul's in prison and he's so full of joy. He's excited about where he is because why? Because he has people to minister to. He's not alone. The Lord is with him. In the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy, isn't it? At his right hand, pleasures forevermore. Just being in the Lord's presence, we should have joy. But there's joy not only being in connection with the Lord, but in connection with one another as well. 1 John chapter 1. Fullness of joy. That's why John, one of the reasons John was writing. And fullness of joy is a result of not only our connection vertically, but our our connection this way as well, horizontally, with one another. And there is an issue in this church, though. At the time, there was two girls, two ladies, that had the, it, this issue between two ladies. We're gonna, do you guys remember their names? Close. Syntyche and Euodia. I don't think I got it right, but close enough. It's, it sounds right if you say it fast enough. Two gals in the church, they have some disagreement, some kind of conflict going on. We're not told what it is, because there's lots of conflicts that arise in families in the church. We're not told what it is, but Paul says, listen, you guys need to get this right, because there's a potential to divide the church, to, 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 to destroy the work, the precious work that God is doing amongst you, and he's reinforcing over and over in these chapters the unity that we are to have as believers. In fact, Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would be one as he and the Father are. As he and the Father are one. And so we're to work together as a team in this. And Paul's reminding them, let's look at God's word, what it has to say. We pick up in chapter two, verse one. I'm gonna read the first four verses. Here's what God's word says. Paul writes, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, and here's Paul's request, look at his request, fulfill my joy, how? By being like-minded, 
having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is so such isn't this good exhortation this morning? We need to hear this. And so let me draw your attention to verse one. Paul is reminding the church of what they experienced together. He says, if, and, and, and it can also be since, since you have, if, since you've received or experienced the consolation of Christ, since you've uh, received comfort of love, since these things have happened in the church, in light of that, here's the response. And, and let's just look at that in verse one. Since we've experienced these things, have you guys experienced the consolation of Jesus Christ? Yes. Consolation, it, it, it speaks of encouragement. It speaks of refreshment. It speaks of, you ever had somebody console you when you're hurt, come alongside you? You guys ever had someone come alongside you and just share words? Maybe, maybe they, didn't say, they didn't say anything at all, and you're grateful. They just, just to know someone is right there that cares about you, to spend time with you. This word in the Greek, it's the same word we get Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the comforter, right? And so God wants to do that through one another to minister to one another with the same comfort that we've received from God, we are to comfort one another, the Bible says. And so Paul's saying, listen, if you've experienced that, I know you have. And then second, he says, notice what else he says, if any comfort of love, calming, consoling love. It's interesting, this word comfort in the Greek, it means to come alongside someone and to share stories with them. Is that interesting? The word for comfort comfort of love, to come alongside and to share stories with one another. I'm studying this going, what in the world does that mean? Well, don't we share together our stories? We share in the greatest story. History is his story, right? But all of us, every one of us here, you've got a story, don't you? And God brings our lives together, and now our lives intersecting, connecting, and we are sharing a story together as we follow Jesus together as well. Listen, I think it's a good thing to listen to people's stories, by the way. Are you with me? You guys ever listen to people's stories as they're sharing with you? Where they're coming from, their perspective, not coming down on them, but what? Coming alongside them to encourage them, maybe to pray for them. Maybe, they, maybe they've been going through something that's been difficult or there's been some hardship they're facing. We get the privilege and the blessing to come alongside them and to share in their story, to hear their story, and then to communicate, to bring comfort, the comfort of love into their life, right? And so, if, have you experienced that? Paul's saying you, you've experienced that. If any fellowship of the Spirit, have you guys experienced fellowship of the Spirit? Fellowship is koinonia. It means to connect lives together. It means to share something in common. We are, this is a fellowship, correct? God has brought our lives together. We share something in common. Number one, we share Jesus in common, don't we? We've surrendered our lives to him. We've given him our hearts. We share the word of God together as well. We share the word in common, a love for God's word. Don't you guys love God's word? We love the word of God. 
And fellowship is connecting of lives together, sharing something in common. And Paul's like, you've, had, you've experienced that, haven't you? The fellowship of the Spirit. Isn't it beautiful when you go around the world to certain churches and it's just like long lost family? And you just connect with them. I don't know. I hear about people coming to our church and saying, man, when we came here, we felt at home, welcomed, loved, cared for. Hallelujah. That's the way fellowship should be, you guys. And Paul's saying, if you've you've experienced that, if you've experienced the consolation and the comfort of love and the fellowship of the Spirit, and if any affection and mercy, have you guys experienced compassion? Someone that's been compassionate. compassionate. Compassion isn't just going, I feel sorry for you, but hope things, hope things get better. Compassion is, I care about that person enough to reach out and do something, to help, to, 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 to bring a betterment to the situation, or bring something to the table that will help them out, is the idea. That's what compassion is. And mercy, aren't you glad for mercy? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Aren't you glad that people have given you mercy? Don't you like mercy given to you? And so Paul's saying, you've experienced these things. You've experienced these things from the Lord and God using God's people to do this. We've been the recipients of these things. God uses our lives and one another's lives to do and to be these things. He's saying, don't forget this. Don't forget this in your life. And now his request in verse two is what? Would you, would you fill my life with joy? Would you fill my life with happiness? Well, how can we do that? How can we bring joy to the Apostle Paul? How can we bring joy to one another's lives? Look what it says, next part of the verse. He says what? By being, number one, like-minded. Like-minded. To literally continually be of the same mind. We are to do what? We are to be mindful of the things of God. Right? Mindful of the, the things of the Spirit. We are to set our mind on things above. And we're going to see in just a moment in verses 5 through 11, all of us are to have the mind of Christ and to walk in the mind of Christ. And so we are to live together in harmony. That's the idea of being like-minded, having the same love. Aren't you guys grateful for God's love? He shed abroad in our hearts, agape. It's unconditional, correct? Does God wake up on the wrong side of the bed and say, I'm not sure if I love you anymore? No. He loves you and I with an unconditional, everlasting love this morning. By this we know love, John said, 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love, that he gave his life for us. And he goes on to say, you also ought to lay down your lives for the brethren. That's the same love Paul's talking about, the same love for one another. We are to lay down our lives for one another. By this we know love, and our response should be, to do that as well with one another, to live together in love. And by the way, as we do that, that's where joy is found. Didn't Jesus say that in John 15? He said, what, if you love me, obey my commandments, keep my commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. He says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you, that you would experience the fullness of joy in your life. You want fullness of joy? Obey the Lord. How do we obey the Lord? By loving one another. Real simple. Paul says right here, live together in love. And then he says, notice what he says next, of one what? What does your Bible say? Of one accord. Does that mean we all jump in one Honda? And... That we're talking about here? Is that the accord we're talking about here? No. Accord means we're united in attitude, spirit, 
together in our desires and our affections. That's what the word accord means. In the deepest part of our being, we're connected. And we're working together is the idea. And listen, there will be differences. We work through the, because we don't always agree on things, do we? We need to agree on the essentials, what the Word of God says. But there's certain things we don't agree on, and we need to be flexible and work together. Correct or no? Is that how it happens in a home? Or are you a dictator? Dad, are you a dictator? No, we work together in the home together. So that there is one accord, that we are, we are living together in harmony, living together in love. Isn't it a bummer when there is discord in your home? You ever been to a home where it's all just fighting and it's just like, oh, oh God help. Or when, our, when the kids fight. I just hear about different churches' kids fight, not ours, but I hear about that sometimes. But isn't it a bummer when your kids, like, butt heads? Isn't that a bummer? It's like, come on. Can't we all just what? Get, no. Can't we all just get along, man? Let's move forward together. Is this, is this really, this argument, this, this, this stupid little argument, going to be worth it when we get to heaven? Is it going to matter in heaven? Not going to matter at all. So Paul's reminding them, hey, fullness of joy. I want you to fulfill my joy. I want you to experience joy. Like-minded, having the same love of one accord. And then he says, of one mind, united in thinking and understanding. How do we, get, how do we become united in thinking and understanding? The Word of God, right? We're no longer to be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, correct? Romans 12, doesn't the book say that? Don't be conformed any longer. Don't be pushed into this world's mold any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? We used to think a certain way. We used to have these attitudes. We used to have worldly, uh, used to, 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 to make our, our, our judgments, uh, our decisions based upon worldly values and, and worldly attitudes. And no, 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 no. Now we get our cues, we get our directions from the word of God. And we start to learn how to treat one another and to treat our spouse and to treat our kids and how to treat our parents and how to, how to respond in adversity and how to, how to walk in this world in a way that there is joy and there is peace and there is reality in my life. And so, and so it's the word of God. That's how we have one mind. And also, I would say, listen, this morning, if we're going to have one mind, we need to be a people that repent. Because repent, the core of the word metanoia in the Greek is to have a change of mind. I see what God says, and I, you know what? I realize I, God's right, I'm wrong. And I need to have a change of mind, a change of heart that leads to a change of direction in my life. If I'm going to have joy, 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 joy down in my heart and in my life, listen, I need to think differently. I need to think differently. I need to go a different direction that I once went. And listen, Paul's saying to the church, you all need to be going that direction. Repentance isn't just a one-time thing and now you're in the Jesus and the Holy Spirit's showing me these things that are wrong. I confess, I repent, I have a change of heart, change of mind towards those things. I agree with God. It's a lifestyle of repentance, a lifestyle of our, a changing of our minds, a renewing of our minds as we walk with the Lord. And then notice in verse 3, two great enemy, enemies of unity and stability within the local church. 
And Paul tells us, he says, let nothing be done through what? Through selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition, that, that's self-seeking. It, it means, it refers to acting for one's own gain regardless of the discord or strife that it causes. Or a self-seeking pursuit by unfair means is the idea. It, listen, Paul says straight up in Galatians, it's a work of the flesh, selfish ambition. There is good ambition, there, correct? There is good ambition, desiring to serve the Lord, desiring to be great in his kingdom. The problem is the way we go about it. We go about it with self-seeking and, and, and using carnal methods and fleshly methods, introducing things we, we used to do in the world or the way that we practice business and introduce those into the church, and it looks nothing like Jesus at all. Are you guys still following with me? This is like super crucial. You got an agenda, you're manipulating, you're working things, and you t try to make it work out for you rather than letting it be a work of the Spirit. Listen, we don't want an Ishmael, we want an Isaac. Ishmael was a work of the flesh. Isaac was a work of the spirit. And Isaac's name, what does Isaac's name mean? Laughter, joy. Listen, a work of the flesh will always lead to being bummed out, striving, because if you strive to attain, you must strive to maintain. And it's the maintenance that kills you. You're self-seeking, you've got selfish ambition, and now you got to this position, and now you've got to maintain your position. And it's, and it's a chore, maintaining your position. Because now you've got to manipulate, you've got to scheme, you've got to do this and do that. Versus you allow the Lord to lift you up. The Lord to bring, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. He'll bring you to the place where he wants you to be. Why? Because promotion doesn't come from the east or west or the south. It comes from the Lord. He lifts up one and takes down another. So you say, Lord, here's my life. I'm down, whatever you want to do. I'm not going to force this. I'm not going to knock down doors. I'm not going to manipulate and scheme and be selfish in my ambition. I'm going to trust you. I'll humble myself before you and let you do it. Let you do the work in my life. That way, when the Lord does bring you to where he wants you to be in ministry, it, there's joy and laughter. It's an Isaac. It's a work of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. What's conceit mean? Pride. Conceit is Pride. Pride is seeing myself as above others. I'm better than everyone else. And listen, pride blinds us to our true condition. We're typically the last one to see it in ourselves. And sadly, we have to, we have to hit, we have to fall, we have to slam before we realize it. Because pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so the Bible says by pride comes nothing but contention or strife. Do you guys know that? When we introduce pride into the church, pride into the body, it causes nothing but strife. You guys remember the disciples, Matthew chapter 20? You guys remember the story, Matthew chapter 20? James and John took their mommy to Jesus. You guys remember that story? It's a good story. It's, you guys remember that story? It's a good story. They used their mom to manipulate Jesus. Correct? Is that what happened? So here they come, sons of thunder. Who is thunder, mama or daddy? We don't know. Sons of thunder. They come to Jesus. The mom, right, mom comes. Lord, these are good boys right here. 
They, they left the, biz, the fishing business, lucrative. We've been, they've been killing it. <laughs> I got something to ask. What is it that these boys, these good boys, they've left everything to follow you. These good boys, would you give them the seats on the right hand and the left when you come into the kingdom? Would you give them the thrones can they, so that they can rule over everybody? That's the idea. And Jesus sees right through it. Doesn't Jesus see right through all of our manipulating, scheming, selfish ambition? The Lord sees right through that. You can't fake him out. We can fake out people, not the Lord. And the Lord looks right at James and John, not at mom, and says to them, asks a question, the power of a question, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with? Are you able to go through the pain and suffering that I'm about to go through? And what do they say? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why, they're flexing on, on Jesus. They are, because that's what, that's, what, that's what selfish ambition and pride does. It blinds us to our true condition. We think we're something we're not. And Jesus said, remember what he said? So classic. Oh, you will drink the cup I'm going to drink. And you're going to be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with. I'm like, yeah, yeah, all right, okay, we can do it. And then Jesus says, the seats on the right and left, that's not for me to give. What? You don't give out the seats? We brought our mom in here to, do the, to get the seats. And... and it's so interesting if you read through that story. Matthew 20, you can look at it tonight. It says, it says it, the next verse says, and then the ten were displeased with the two. Ten plus two is twelve, correct? Twelve disciples. What happened with selfish ambition and pride, self-seeking, manipulative, power-hungry? What happens? It divides us. They're no longer the twelve. Now they're the ten and the two. And isn't it beautiful what Jesus did? What does it say next? Jesus said, you're fired. I'm done with you guys. You're F-apostles, not apostles. <laughs> is that what he said? He, he called them to himself because why? That's always, listen this morning, if you, if you don't catch anything this morning, catch this. Jesus called them to himself because that is always where revival happens in your life, the life of a church, in your ministry, in your marriage. Your marriage is jacked up this morning. You need to come to Jesus. Your family's jacked up. You need to come to Jesus. That's where revival always happens. He calls them into himself, it says, and then he said, listen, you guys, you know how they do business in the world. They lord it over. They boss people. They, 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 they throw their weight around. Not so among you. You want to be great in my kingdom, you become a servant of all. Then the qualifier was the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Well, he didn't say don't desire to be great. The problem is we go, the wrong, we go about it the wrong way. We try to use carnal, fleshly, worldly methods to climb some, some, we think there's some kind of ladder in the church. There's no ladder. The way up in God's kingdom is down. The greatest in the kingdom teach, the greatest in the kingdom teachings that Jesus gives, he talks about being last, being least, being a servant, being a slave. Why? Because that's who Jesus is. He's the greatest in the kingdom. Let's keep going. Let's keep rolling. 
So, loneliness of mind, humility. I don't need to promote myself. Why? Because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let each esteem others better than himself. Each. Is that all of us this morning? Is that every one of us? Let each of us? We're to consider or think of others better than ourselves. Can I ask you a question this morning? How are you doing with that? How are you doing looking at others as better than you? Let that wash over you for a minute. You know what I learned this week? I learned something this week studying is that every person I meet is better than me in something or in some way. Did you know that? Every person that you come in contact with that's around you, they are better than you in something or in some way. Because typically, what do we do? We look at people and think, I'm better than them because I can do this or I can do that. Or in our, fle- in our flesh, I'm talking, be critical or fault-finding of people to pump ourselves up, to lift ourselves up, to make ourselves look better. This is a radical change of perspective, isn't it? To see others as better than ourselves. And I think it's a good lesson for all of us. I've learned this week, too, that my girls are way better cooks than me. So I thought I was good. That's not the case. They are way better. And when they work together as a team, teamwork, what we're talking about here, it is off the Richter how good the food is. There's not fighting in the kitchen. Everybody's working together. You do this. You do that. Dad, you get the dishes. That's what you're good at. (laughs) Hallelujah. So Paul says, and by the way, it's interesting um, as we look at this, that others is people that are different than you. It's people that are different than you. And if everyone is looking up to one another, no one's looking down on anyone. If everyone is lifting up one another, no one's tearing anyone down. Such a great reminder. It's the opposite of, of living a life of bitterness and complaining. The more bitter you are and the more complaining you do, the result is the less joy you will have and people will not want to be around you. You're gonna, you're gonna, the connections you have are going to fray and fall apart. And so, lift others up, the result, joy. And then he goes on to say, look at this next verse, verse 4. Let each of you look out. Let each of you look out only for yourself and your interests. Is that what it says? Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So each, would that be all of us this morning? All of us are to do what? To look out for not just our own interests exclusively, but the interests of of others. He's saying, don't be entirely focused on you. Yes, you need to take care of yourself, don't we? We need to take care of ourselves, our family, our home, home, our jobs, but not, a, not to the exclusion of everyone else. Are you with me? Because can't we do that? We're, just, we're in our, our little rut, our own little world. We do our thing. We don't even, we don't share stories with people. We don't make connections with one another. And that's what God intends for all of us this morning to look out for one another, to look out for one another's interests, our our affairs, what's going on of those around us. How can I bless this person? 
How can I be a blessing to the people in the church? How can, I, how can I serve this person? How can I reach out to this person, especially those who are different than you? That were others, those that are different than you. Because there's some different people, aren't there? There's some different people in the church. Starting with you, pastor, absolutely. You're different, dude. And that's cool. It's all right. Because what's, what's so beautiful is Jesus said you want to be great, be a servant of who? Of all. Not just the people you're comfortable with or that are cool or hip or whatever. To serve everybody, others, take an interest in others. Not just looking out for yourself, but those who are different. Listen, does God take an interest in you this morning? Does God take an interest in you, brother or sister? If we're going to be like the Lord, we're going to take an interest in others and to reach out to them. Well, look at verse 5. Let's keep rolling. We have time? We sure do. Windows down, hitting the gas here, gang. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, notice this, to the glory of God the Father. This is an awesome portion of Scripture, isn't it? And the context is, so it, Paul talks about our Lord and Him coming from heaven to earth, leaving the glory of heaven, the perfection of heaven, the adulation, the praises of angels, coming to this cesspool, planet earth. Jesus adding humanity to his deity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifested in the flesh. He left the glory and, and the perfection of heaven to come here to take on, uh, take the form of a servant, to come and to serve. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And Paul's talking about this amazing uh, coming down, stepping down, a choice that Jesus made and it's a choice that we need to make every single day, he's saying. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And by the way, it's continually have this attitude. And it's not just, oh, yeah, I think about that once in a while. I, you know, I try to think about that. It's not just thinking about it, but it's putting it into action as well. Are you guys with me? You guys doing okay? Doing good? Sweet? So-so? All right. Jesus Christ is God, verse 6. He's the image of the invisible God, Hebrews 1.3. He is the exact image of his person, Colossians 1.15. Remember the Pharisees tripped out? Remember the Pharisees tripped out when Jesus said, my father and I are working? And they're ready to stone him. They're like, man, he's making himself equal with God. 
And then he went even further later in the Gospel of John, I think it's like in chapter 8, he said, before Abraham was, I am. He's taking the, he's taking the, all, the name of Almighty God and attributing it to himself. I was the one there at the burning bush with Moses. And so Jesus is equal with God, but robbery, what is this all about robbery? You guys see that? Who, being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. And so Jesus said, I and my Father are one. He that has seen me has seen the Father. When Jesus said that, he wasn't committing robbery. He wasn't ripping off the Father. He wasn't claiming something he had no right to. It wasn't robbery for him to to claim to be equal with the Father. He had always been God by nature, yet did not, and we're going to see, did not cling to his privileges as God's equal. Look at verse 7. He chose to make himself what? Of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. He emptied himself. He emptied himself of recognition, of every advantage. As Jesus added humanity to his deity, and speaking of the incarnation, he came and he walked in our shoes, and sometime in eternity past, The decision was made within the Trinity that Jesus would come and give his life for us. How did they do? Did they have a vote and Jesus got? Was it two to one in the Trinity? Jesus, you're going. We're voting. Did they? Did they Rochambeau? Does anybody call it Rochambeau? No? Nobody calls it rock, rock, paper, scissors? Was it, okay, odd man out, goes to earth? Jesus, you're going. Is that what happened? No, Jesus chose to come. He submitted to the plan of salvation, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He submitted to the plan. And he laid aside his divine attributes, the perks and the privileges of being God. He never ceased being God. He is God in the flesh, yet he chose to empty himself by taking the form, what does it say, of a servant upon himself. How did he do that? How did, how did Jesus do what he did? He laid aside his privileges, the perks, the, all those things. How did he do that? Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, I can, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. In Acts chapter 10, if you're taking notes, I'm going to read it real fast, 1038. Acts 10.30, I think it's good for us to be reminded of this. Peter, when he was thinking about Jesus, he said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We learn something about the life of our Lord. He remained every single day in close connection and fellowship with the Father, getting direction from the Father, but also being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do those things that he did. And so can I remind us the, the, the mind of Christ here? Having the mind of Christ means a couple of things for us. Number one, it means we don't live for the recognition of man. Jesus made himself of no reputation. We don't live for our image or for likes or likes our thumbs up. We don't live for the likes. We don't live for our image. We take care of our character and we let God take care of our reputation. Are you guys with me still this morning? He made himself of no reputation. We're secure who we are in Christ. We're not trying to be something we're not. 
We're walking in reality. We're walking in the light. We're walking with Jesus. Having the mind of Christ means we continually follow Jesus' example of servanthood. How many of you guys want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant when you pass through the veil? You guys want to hear that? It doesn't say, Jesus is not going to say, well done, good and faithful superstar. Good and faithful spiritual slug. Good and faithful, what was it? Servant. Servant. We're to have this mind that Jesus had. A servant, and what does a servant do? A servant lives to make other people's lives better. Are you a servant this morning of Jesus? Do you serve others? Do you make their lives better this morning? How do you know if you're a servant? Well, you'll know how much of a servant you are by how you respond when you're treated like one. You guys ever had someone you serve and they don't treat you very good? I'm out of here. I was serving as an usher and you know what? No one said hi to me. You're supposed to say hi to them. Or whatever. It's like, how, how can I be a blessing? Because I hear that sometimes, you know. I came to that church and no one said hi to me. I came and I wanted to be blessed and no one blessed me. How about you turn it around? How can you be a blessing? How can you be a servant? How can you make other people's lives better? Because that means you're walking in the mind of Christ. That's what we're being exhorted here to do, to walk with the mind of Jesus. He stooped down. He stooped, leaving heaven, coming here, he stooped down to to us, humbled himself. And this is crazy to think about. And yet we won't even lift a finger to serve. I mean, there's a problem, isn't there? If that's the case in my life, if it's just all about serve me, bless me, look out for numero uno, I I would say, listen, you got to repent this morning seeing this passage. I'm challenged by this. I, I said, Lord, if I did this every day, what would our home be like, our marriage be like, our home, our church be like? What if everybody had the same mind of Christ here? What do you think this city would be like? Our community. If we said, yeah, you know what, we're gonna, we believe it. We not only believe what the Bible says, but now we're gonna do it. What do you think would happen? We're gonna have this mind every day like we're supposed to. And you know what? The Lord will give you what you need to do it. Amen? Let's keep rolling. Look what it says. Being found in appearance as a man. His visible form was a human being. Was he glowing? Was Jesus glowing? Did he have like that, 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 that sun behind his head? Has ever seen that? Is that what he looked like? Did he kind of like not walk on the ground? He kind of floated around? Do you know that he wasn't beautiful? <clears throat> Isaiah 53 says there was nothing beautiful that would attract us to him. That, wait a minute, Pastor, you've gone way too far. I have a painting at home. <laughs> he is the most beautiful, blonde haired, blue eyed surfer you've ever seen. <laughs> he was a regular guy. Regular. But that's not the point. He was found in appearances of men. He humbled himself. There was an absence of pride. He chose to walk in lowliness. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. 
He became obedient. Jesus chose to obey the Father in all things, obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was willing and obedient to the Father to willingly lay down his life for us, to take our place on the cross, to, 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 to absorb the wrath and punishment that we deserve for our sins. He, he did it for you and for me because of his great love for you and I. The most horrific way to die, suffering a criminal's death though he was innocent. And having the mind of Christ, I would say then, means to, that we would humble ourselves and that we would be obedient to God's word, obedient to him. And here's the cool thing. Would you listen with me this morning as we wrap this up? When we are obedient like Jesus was obedient, what happens when we take that step of faith to obey? He couples it with the power to do it. He gives you what you need to do what he's called you to do. Do you know that this morning when you step out in faith, he meets you right there with the power of the Holy Spirit? We're going to see in verse 13 next week or next month, or whenever. It is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He gives us what we need, so we need to simply obey, die to ourselves, take up our cross too. To die to ourselves. If we want to follow Jesus, die to ourselves and follow him. Jesus gave us the model and the mind in light of what Jesus did. Look what it says as we finish. In light of the choices he made, the Father lifted him way up. The Father has made the name of Jesus the greatest name of all. His name is so great that what? Every single knee in the history of the world will bow down to him. Those in heaven, angels, the redeemed, those on earth, everything on earth, every system, every ism, every religion, everything's going to bow down to Jesus. And those under the earth, fallen angels, demons, those that have rejected the free gift, of eternal life found in Jesus Christ, the ungodly. Every single tongue will openly declare without reservation that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the future of every human being. Bending the knee and confessing Jesus as Lord for all eternity. It'll either be with Jesus in heaven or without him in hell. Either you will face Jesus as Savior, and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, or, or you will hear, depart from me, I never knew you at all. You worker of iniquity, you demonstrated you didn't know me by the way you lived your life. And so you bow your knee now, you confess with your tongue now, listen, the best is yet to come. Those in hell will know it to be true and have to live with that knowledge for all eternity. And they'll be bowing their knee and confessing with their lips. Listen, Jesus is the reason I live. And I, listen, I want to be with him forever. I am looking forward to that upward call. Like Paul said last week or the week before, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To make our lives count. One observation before we finish, Jesus became greater by his humbling himself and his servanthood. Please take note of that. The God of heaven became elevated, lifted up by what he did. Because I know some of us may be still sitting here going, well, wait a minute, taking the position of servant, humility, humbling myself, is it really worth it? Listen, it's going to be worth it. 
to offer yourself as a living sacrifice right now, not taking any part of your life back, but saying, Lord, here's my life. I give you my life. I'm giving my life for the good of others to serve you, Lord. Guess what you're going to have now? You will have joy and fulfillment now. And you know what? The Father will honor you. Because Jesus said so. Jesus said, if any man serve me, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall also my servant be. And if any man serve me, him will my Father honor. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for this amazing passage. Jesus said, abide in me and you will bear much, much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Paul's like that. You guys would abide in Jesus and sweet fruit, good fruit, right on fruit would be flowing from your lives and it would make who look good? God. Look, look what it says to the, to the glory and praise of God. Amen. That we would make him look good in Jesus name. Lord, thank you so much for this amazing passage and Help us, Lord.